You're listening to Episode 7 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestilich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestilich. Hi there and welcome to Episode 7 of Chat About Children, where we chat about all things children and support and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today we are looking at food fuel for effective learning and I'm going to be joined by Monica Kabisniak. She's an experienced dietitian and she will be joining me for a chat. We're going to be having a look at food for your child's lunchbox, uh, you know, what to look out for when buying snacks for your child and also looking at the best fuel food for children. Some of these we already know and some of these we may need to be reminded of. One of the things that I was interested in was what a typical menu looks like for her family on a given day. So what we get a bit of a sneak peek into a dietitian's uh, typical day with her family with three children. I know for me it can be a challenge on busy days, which you know, on most days it's a challenge to work out what it is that I'm going to prepare or pack in the lunch boxes or even what to prepare for dinner. And my chat with Monica reminds us of some wholesome tips. So Let's chat now with Monica. Joining me for a chat today is dietitian Monica Kabisniak as we chat about food fuel for effective learning. Monica completed her Masters of Nutrition and Dietetics in 2000, so almost 20 years ago, just to make you feel old there, Monica. Thank you, Sonia. (laughs) Since graduating, she has worked in community health centres, hospitals and private practice, both in Australia and overseas. Monica works pretty tirelessly. She gives practical advice on healthy eating to children, adolescents and adults. And she also works in the specialty of nutrition in arthritis, but does have so many years of experience in weight management, irritable bowel syndrome, celiac disease, food allergies, heart health and diabetes. Is there anything you don't do, Monica? (laughs) (laughs) I try. I try my best to do a lot of things. Fantastic. And you've got three young children and a very busy lifestyle. So you're a great person to chat to because you do understand the challenges that parents have when it comes to providing a balanced and healthy eating plan to our children. And I know that you're very passionate about helping people and families to really feel the healthiest that they can be. So Monica, welcome to Chat About Children. Thank you, Sonia. I'm very happy to be here. Well, start off just by telling us a little bit about yourself and what made you want to be a dietitian. Well, in actual fact, I didn't really know what a dietitian was when I finished high school and I entered a science degree specialising in sports science. And in my second year, I had to choose an elective and I happened to choose an introduction to nutrition. And within my first lecture, I just fell in love with it and I knew I really wanted to be a dietitian. So I asked plenty of advice from my lecturer and I finished my sports science degree and then went on and did a dietetics degree. And here we are, very passionate about what I do and that was a very good decision. Fantastic. Almost 20 years later, still passionate. That's what we like, Monica. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Yeah, so you've got three children. How old are they? And what do you see as the biggest challenges you face when it comes to fueling your children in general? I have a six-year-old daughter, a five-year-old daughter, and my son is almost three and a half. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess my biggest challenge for fueling them is at the moment, I've had two extremely good eaters and one very good eater, but my two very extremely good eaters that have never given me any problems have just started to turn their nose up at certain things or being a little bit fussy, which I'm not actually quite used to. So that's a big challenge for me is to work out how to get around that and still provide healthy choices and not just the two or three things they've decided that they're in love with at the moment. Mm-hmm. And probably my second challenge is having three children very close in age where one of my advice to parents for the past 20 years, and especially before I had children, was to try not to cook more than one meal. I've met a lot of clients in the past that if they have three children who have three different tastes, they would literally cook three different meals. And for most parents, that's not something you can do. So I'm sticking by my advice and really trying to work with our family to make sure everybody has their favourite meals and that might mean that some days it's not yours and other days it is, but that we all do our best to eat the same dinner together so that I'm not trying to spread myself even thinner and that's cook more than one meal. Yeah. So have you ever had a child, one of your children just outright refuse to have someone else's favourite? Because that could happen. (laughs) Very occasionally. I'm quite lucky that that doesn't happen very often in my household and that's pretty much predominantly because I have two children that have just loved food since the day they were born. Yeah. And that's been very, very helpful. I think if I had more than one slightly fussy eater, as some families do have, that challenge would become a lot more intense, as in you would be thinking about it every day, whereas I haven't really had to do that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So some challenges are up for you too. Yes. I also have one child that does exactly what you'd want someone to do. You know, she eats only when she's hungry. She eats the amount she needs at the time, but that could also mean that she's very hungry again an hour later. Mm-hmm. And she's very, very active and needs lots of fueling. And probably one of those challenges is if you have children that have different needs, you've got one that is asking you for food again, knowing that the other two are still satisfied from what they've eaten before because they've probably eaten a little bit more because they like the taste and they're happy to eat that little bit more but of course want to join in and have the next snack or the next meal as well. So it's balancing out the needs of all three individuals to make sure that they have the energy and the vitality that they need to do everything with learning as well as their sports, uh, playing and running around with cousins and family. And that's always been a little bit of a challenge for me as well, just to know that each of them is getting what they need. Well, absolutely. And I wonder how do we actually know as parents that our child has what they need in terms of just the quantity of fuel? How do we know when it's too much and how do we know that it's just right? What are our signals? That's a really good question. One of my expertise areas in what I do in private practice is mindful eating and I have spent probably the better part of 16 years honing in my skills of teaching people how to really listen to their cues, especially adults who have forgotten those cues from childhood because most of us somewhere along the lines lose that skill. So I feel that I am doing my best in trying to already teach my kids those skills, what they're looking for, what hunger really feels like or what their tummy might be saying or how they might be feeling or are they getting lethargic. And then on the other side, listening to 
once they've eaten enough, I encourage them to eat slowly and enjoy their food and really sometimes talk to me about how it feels, what the textures are like or what does it taste like so that from the start they're trying to get some of these mindfulness skills and hopefully that means that they'll have them for life. That's my aim, I guess, so that they don't have some of the issues that I see in the adult world of what Mm. I do with counselling. So I can see that even at their young ages, they're starting to be able to tell me themselves when they feel like they're satisfied. And when they push the food away, I do my best to say, okay, great. Even if I don't think it's enough, even if I think they need a little bit more, I do my best to say, that's great, excellent, did you enjoy it? And come back when you're hungry again. And I find that sometimes that, you know, 40 minutes later, which means that they didn't have enough and maybe I can say to them, you didn't quite have enough at lunch and that's why you're hungry only 40 minutes later. And other times they'll run around for two hours or three hours before they ask me for food. And then you get to know each of your individual children that that portion size suited them because they're not asking me every hour. Yes. So it's giving them the opportunity to read their own body cues and to make that decision And then I guess you're helping them evaluate whether that decision they made was accurate or not, yeah? That's that's correct. And then over time, what you hope is as they approach pre-teens and then the teenage years, that that's something that they're very effective at doing already on their own, especially when, as on your young family, the amount of parties these children go to and the amount of food that is available at those parties, what I'm hoping is that that little bit of self-regulation that they're able to say, you know, maybe I don't need another cupcake, I'm kind of already had one and I've had a choice of this. And also just it's interesting watching my children as the years go on, especially my older two. When they go to parties now, I feel like they're getting better at saying, well, okay, I'll have a couple of bits of sandwich and I'll have a couple of cucumber sticks and then I'll have a few cheesels or the cupcake and then the piece of cake at the end rather than just going straight in to having the chips and the cupcakes and all of those things yeah and you can see their little brains kind of ticking and I still am there to guide them a little bit but overall I can see that that with the practice they're getting better at knowing what their balance is yes and it sounds like you're role modeling their thinking patterns so you're kind of thinking out aloud, for example, when you are at a party saying, you know what, I think I might have some cucumber and carrot sticks first before I head to the cupcakes. Are you doing that kind of thinking out aloud so they adopt that pattern as well? Yes. Yeah, fantastic. And parties are a big challenge. My goodness, they're a challenge, kids' parties. parties. Are a huge wow, <laughs> wow. Although it is nice to see now that parents are investing a lot in parties and I feel that they're getting better in that the kids tend to be busy you know it's nice to go to gymnastics parties because you know for at least an hour to an hour and a half they're on the gymnastics floor and they're not just being exposed to food or there's entertainment of some sort yeah my daughter's going to inflatable world on the weekend and so she'll be bouncing around for an hour before the food is served and I think those kind of activities now are very helpful yeah if you're going to invest in a party and you're going to outsource some of those things and let's face it in our busy lifestyles that's something that is really helpful for parents and I do that too it's nice to know that it's not just we're sitting in front of a big table of lollies and chips and cake 
and that's most of the party. Yeah, absolutely. And our kids are constantly learning, whether they're learning a physical activity or they're they're at school sitting in the classroom, after school activities, they're constantly learning. They've got super busy brains, particularly in the developmental years. So can you share with us, and I've got in mind here kind of your preschoolers and your your school age kids, what are the best foods for their learning and for their attention? And why do you think they're the best foods? Okay, well, one of the other areas that I specialise in is anti-inflammatory eating, especially in the area of arthritis, for example. And when I look at a lot of the things I counsel in day to day, and then I try and transfer that into my family life, for example, I'm finding that children should really be starting the advice we're giving to adults a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. So I really believe that foods like whole grains and nuts and seeds and fruit and vegetables, fish and lean proteins are kind of the makeup, the foundation of what you're doing. And the Mediterranean style of eating is very, very helpful. So why would you say that, I mean, I think I know why they're best, but why are they best for growing kids and for those busy brains? Well, all of those food groups in one way or another are going to be giving slow-release carbohydrates for great concentration and focus and being able to provide energy to the brain and for thinking and learning. And then if we're looking at activities for your muscles and performance-based activities as well, not just academic learning, we have nuts and seeds and fish, for example, that are going to provide omega-3 and fatty acids, which is really great for the brain and improving mood and concentration. So in research, a lot of these things have been proven over and over again. Fruit and vegetables have got your antioxidants and your phytonutrients that have been shown to help improve you know, blood flow to the brain, which is, of course, something that you need if you're going to be in the classroom all day. And for a lot of the children out there, you know, they're doing other activities outside of school where they're learning another language because they speak a different language at home or they're doing tutoring and those types of things. So it's not just the school day, they have to be switched on sometimes even after school. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And things like lean proteins give the body vitality and the brain vitality to stay awake. So together, when you put all of that together on a plate and you're looking at the opportunities of breakfast, lunch and dinner and snack, you're really fueling the brain all day long. Yeah, absolutely. Is what kids need these days because there are positives and negatives to the way that kids are growing up at the moment, I feel. And we want them to have free play and be able to just let their minds release and and come up with imaginative stories and games. But you need really nutritious food to do that too for them to just think and be with siblings or friends and play dates or just on their own and and make up their own little games, as well as the fact that when they're in school, to be able to do that. But also kids are doing a lot of extra things nowadays compared to maybe when you and I were young. And so I think the fueling is even more important if they're going to be doing up to several activities extra per week, especially if you're doing music and language and sporting activities. So these types of foods actually give them that energy all day long. Can you give us an example of what you pack for a day? What does a day look like for a dietitian with three kids? What are your kids having for breakfast? What are they having for their snacks and lunch and dinner? Just a summary. I'm curious for the insight here, a bit of inspiration. On a good day. On a good day. (laughs) 
Okay, so our breakfast, we do have a lot of choices of cereal in my house. So we have anything from muesli, oats, we use things like Wheaties and all brand flakes, unfortunately, not the honey flavoured ones, just the plain ones. I look for cereals that have less than five grams of sugar per serve. And so that can mean quite a few options. There's lots of options out there. So probably our most sugary cereals, Cheerios, but everything else has at least three grams of fibre in it per serve, which is what we call high fibre, mm-hmm. and less than five grams of sugar. Okay. So either a cereal with low-fat milk, not skim milk. I use A2 milk. I just happen to like the idea of the A2 versus the A1 protein. Uh, where the research continues to tell us that that was the better choice, I don't know, but I like the idea of that. If they don't have a cereal or if they don't have oats, then they're having multigrain bread with either a natural peanut butter or something like that on it or avocado or eggs. Yep. I have kids who like boiled eggs, so they'll have boiled eggs with soldiers and they'll dip in. Now, when you say soldiers, that's toast. In strips. Yeah, just because, you know, there are some countries that may not know what soldiers are when we're referring to breakfast products. So that's strips of toast that you dip into a soft, gooey boiled egg, basically. So that's probably our typical breakfasts at our house. Lunch boxes at the moment for two of my children, they're obsessed with wraps. So it's all things wraps, avocado and low-fat cheese or hummus and turkey or chicken, something like that. There's always one cut of their lunchbox has either cherry tomatoes or cucumbers or carrot sticks or something like that. Another component will always have either a few prunes in it or fruit of some sort. And then there's often uh, maybe four pretzels, for example, or four grain waves or something a couple of veggie chips or something like that that they like to have is what they feel is a bit of a a treat my son tends to not like wraps and sandwiches so much so he has whole grain crackers with low-fat cheese and then basically the rest of it is the same and then dinner for us is a whole heap of different things so tonight was lean pork and veal and lentil meatballs with zucchini grated in with a nice Italian sauce, just a tomato-based sauce. Mm-hmm. And I tend to use either the Veta high-fibre pasta or the San Remo chickpea pasta or I use buckwheat pasta. So we've been very used to in our family not eating white pasta yep. for, for quite a long time because of the idea that it's lowering glycemic index. And, for example, like the chickpea pasta is also very much higher in protein, so that's good for them, keeps them a lot fuller. Yep. Or it might be, you know, lean chicken and vegetables or salmon and vegetables or I'll make a curry with chickpeas and lean meat. My husband likes to do a roast and he's very good at roast, so I leave that to him. And we do all the normal things. Occasionally we have cutlets and vegetables or we have like a chicken in a white sauce but not with cream, not fond of using cream for my kids. So we have a pretty good variety of different things and I try and do fish twice a week and then lentils and legumes get thrown into almost everything Yep. where I can put into bolognese sauce or tacos or the meatballs for example lasagna I put it in curries and soups to give them that extra uh, plant-based protein 
which is good for all aspects of health growing up to protect heart health and prevention of diabetes and energy and anti-inflammatories. So I'm very keen on those. So yeah, they do pretty well with having a little bit of everything. Yeah, and it sounds like there's a lot of good variety, which we need, I'm assuming, to get the range of nutrients that food has to offer, basically the right foods anyway. So when we're looking at learning and attention and the foods that are not so great for learning and attention, I'm assuming it's stuff that we're constantly being told about, you know, avoid or prevent too much sugar in their diets, take away the fizzy drinks or just go for water. What kinds of things are a common culprit in kids' lunchboxes these days? And and we can speak for in Australia anyway, what could be a common culprit that we find in lunchboxes that really are not that great? Well, there's probably quite a few. So depending on what you're thinking, there could be quite a few of the high sugar type fruit wraps, for example, or different kinds of Muesli bars, there there are some good muesli bars on the market. And I'll be, when I see people face-to-face, I do help people with brands. I'll be careful to not say great things about one brand and good things about another brand because what I find is actually even within brands, they have the better choices and then they have not so great choices. So looking for that higher fibre content or the lower sugar content helps people make better choices around maybe a music bar or a little snack bar of some sort to help kids feel like they're having a bit of variety in their lunchbox as well. Definitely looking at portion pack things, you know, things that come in small portions so that if it's not such a great choice, the fact that it's in a smaller portion, it's actually better for them. And learning, learning about portion sizes from a young age, I think is good without us actually telling them too much about that or harping on it when they're young but just that that's what they're used to and that's what they see as they get older part of it will be habitual that they'll know that oh we just have this little bite of it or a bit of a taste of this Mm. so I think parents probably need to be a little bit careful about some of the products that look healthy or advertised it healthy things like dried fruit apricot covered in coconut for example Mm. and it has 15 grams of sugar or a small 30 or 40 gram serve which means it has 30 grams of sugar per 100 grams and we're looking for things that have less than 10 or less than 20 if they contain fruit those fruit strap sticky things and things that have like cheesy sauces that are potentially not kind of fresh cheese you know cheesy spread things that have low fibre crackers that go with them that are high in glycemic index, which means that your kids are going to digest them very, very quickly. And therefore, when they need that bit of sustenance right in that before lunch period or right before that last hour of school, they tend to slump and not be able to think so well because that food was digested so quickly it was Mm. gone 45 minutes ago and then they're expected to still hold that concentration right until the end of class so some of those culprity things in lunch boxes are what parents talk to me about a lot so I have clients that come in with a long list of is this snack food okay is this snack food okay is this snack food okay and that's something that parents find really important to be able to get good advice on yes absolutely because I'd love kind of the top three even after school snacks when kids are just super hungry and and this could go for I guess, just their morning tea break at school, it sounds like we need to give them 
what we call the slow release or low GI type foods and maybe some protein in there. So what would be kind of your top three after school snack or morning tea snack ideas that's going to tick those boxes? Okay, well, I have a few. Sorry, Sonia, I've got more than three. So <laughs> like whole grain toast with toppings. Yep. Uh, avocado toppings or baked beans or a little bit of egg or peanut butter. As long as, obviously, I did my thesis at the allergy unit in at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. So as long as there's no allergies, obviously, the nut things are okay. And age appropriate, of course. So we wouldn't give whole macadamia nuts to a four-year-old. So making sure that if your kids can eat nuts, that as they get older, you know, they're slithered almonds, for example, or they're crushed nuts, or they might be in a homemade muffin. We eat better flowers that have fruit and nuts in them or savoury muffins. So I have a lot of younger clients that enjoy savoury muffins or like mini frittatas, for example. They're very filling, but there's something a little bit different yogurts, homemade smoothies with fruit and low-fat milk with a good dollop of natural yogurt in it with raspberries or their favourite fruit whizzed in. Even during wintertime, I have a lot of clients that eat soup. Yes. For afternoon tea, for example. Kids come home super hungry, they're a little bit cold, give them a nice veggie and lentil soup or a chicken and veggie soup and that can tie them over till dinner time in a nutritious way. And, of course, what happens to a lot of families is we experience the, the intense afternoon hunger and the kids go and eat more than one thing often and then they get to dinner time and they're not often that hungry. Yeah. So at least if we fill them up at afternoon tea with foods that are already semi-dinner, lunch, breakfast-type foods like savoury muffins or toast with a good topping on it or a soup, then it's not as important for them to eat everything at dinner time because you've already put a lot of those dinner foods into the afternoon tea. Yeah. But if yep. they fill up on biscuits or chips or lollies or cakes or muffins all the time and still get to dinner and not really feel like eating everything, then you know that they've missed out on quite a good opportunity for refueling from the day and preparing next day absolutely and for a lot of the kids they need that fueling to go to the next activity whether it's extracurricular doing some homework etc so it's just kind of giving them that boost or even just to go out and play and have some physical activity going on now they're really good tips they're really good strategies and really good tips so and I guess sorry Monica what were you going to say I was just going to say, when I'm talking to clients individually, I'm always very, I get to know my clients really well. So if a mum or a dad or an older child who's coming to see me and they're able to ask their own questions and they say to me, oh, you know, on Monday I go straight to netball or soccer practice. On Tuesdays I go to my music lesson. On Wednesdays I come home. On Thursdays. I do this and then on Fridays I go swimming, mm -hmm. then we're able to target and tailor the snacks. So if you've had to carry that snack, if you're a 14-year-old child and you have to carry that snack from the very morning from leaving home, then obviously at 3.30 in the afternoon you're not going to eat yogurt. Yeah. So I might say to them, well, then on Monday between finishing school and going straight to practice, here are some really good options that day 
Whereas when you come home and you know you can choose anything from the fridge or the pantry, then here are some of the options that you can have there. Whereas if I'm talking to someone where the mum says, I pick my child up, but I take them straight to wherever they're going, but I'm coming from home, then we have a few more options to suggest because they can bring something straight from the fridge or they can bring something straight from the pantry or straight from cooking something, for example. So I get to understand when my clients work, when they've got home days, when the kids come straight home, when the kids go to activities, so that we can say these are going to be your easiest and your best options on that day and these mm. are going to be the best options on those days so that the kids get a good variety through the week but that it's also something that works for the lifestyle of the family because, of course, these suggestions are not sustainable unless everybody in the family likes what they're eating and the people providing the food know that it's doable. Absolutely. And it is a daily thing and sometimes it feels like a chore, to be quite honest, getting food <laughs> sorted <laughs> and organised and, and sometimes it really does. You just think, oh, like what can I just buy for them quickly? And I think that's a common thing for a lot of parents on the go, just finish work, got to rush and get the kids. What can I bring them or what can I buy them on the run? And I think it's a situation that we're in a lot. So sometimes, you know, I do find myself, it might be that I'm buying some, you know, roasted fava beans or roasted chickpeas or doing my best at finding something that's not too sugary or just a white bread roll, etc. But, you know, some days are better than others. And I guess for me anyway, I just balance moderation. I look for balance. I look for moderation and just go, you know what? It may just be one of those days that they get a white roll with cheese and bacon on top, but it's not going to happen every day. And I think there's got to be some balance so we're not too hard on ourselves as parents, but we exercise that kind of moderation in our thinking too. Yeah. Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. And even as a dietitian, you know, I've been doing this, like you say, for almost 20 years. And I think there's a lot of people out there who expect my kids to be eating 100% perfectly, which in many ways would not be fair to them because they want to experience all the things that everybody can have at, at parties or after school care or banana bread being a favourite thing or whatever the type of food is. But, you know, I also appreciate that I'm a working mum and I don't get it right all the time either, even though in theory, I would love to because this is what I do for a living. But I really counsel around 80-20, really getting the foundation 80% to fuel people and help everyone feel the best that they can, where then the 20%, if in moderation and your portions are smaller and you're enjoying those foods and sometimes we need the quick and easy things, you actually find over the years that people's health is very, very good on that theory, but people can also sustain it for a really long period of time. Fantastic. And that's what we need. I do have one passion though, Sonia, and I will say it's because I thought we're talking about children and it's really important, I think, for families to know a little bit about ham and bacon and nitrates. Oh, because <laughs> I mentioned the cheese and bacon roll? <laughs> Great. My children very occasionally also have cheese and bacon rolls. They have hardly ever had them in their entire lives until about, I don't know, three months ago because we've had quite a few of them show up at swimming classes and 
going out with friends and picnics and things and my kids will say to me can I have these and every time they ask or if my husband comes home with salami for example very occasionally because he knows that that's something that I appreciate not having in the house one of my probably one of the things that my family will say to me stop talking about nitrates so much and but I do I nag Nitrates are a preservative with the number 250. Sodium nitrate is what they normally use in ham and bacon and all things pink processed meats. And the World Cancer Research Fund has put out that they're linked to bowel cancer and we know that to be to be true. So they encourage to not have any basically okay. processed meats. And so it's something I tell pretty much every client about. It doesn't actually matter why they come into the clinic, whether they come in for allergies or irritable bowel, where ham is safe for the irritable bowel elimination diet that I put people on. You know, they come in for, uh, I have young children that I see for celiac disease and I have people that come in for cholesterol and people come for diabetes. Every single person I think walks out my door where we've talked about nitrates. Okay, so building awareness there. I want people to know about them so they can make their own personal decision about how much of it they have. I just want them to know that the information is there because it's not widely spoken about Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. they can decide their level of what they feel is right for them. But, of course, in children, we don't potentially want their bowel to be exposed to nitrates where it increases the risk of bowel cancer then later in in life. And the good news is, is that there are lots starting to be lots more products available that are nitrate free. I have noticed so, this. Yeah. Yes. So I buy bacon probably at least once every three to four weeks because my husband and I really do enjoy it. And we're real people. You know, I'm a dietitian, but we are very real people. And I am a foodie. I'm not actually just a dietitian who's clinical. I talk a lot about evidence-based practice and I follow evidence-based practice, but I also love food. And I grew up in a household that loves food and I have wonderful family friends, as you know, because you've known me for a very long time, who cook amazing food. Absolutely. And I've travelled a lot and I've always travelled to see different things, but in parts of my life I actually travelled to places just so I could see what it tasted like to eat something in a certain country. So we love bacon, so I do bring bacon home, but I now buy nitrate-free bacon. Okay. even though it's still high in salt and there's still a level of being cautious about that from a children's point of view, they shouldn't be having high salt diets. So we keep their portions of bacon very, very small. It does feel better that it's nitrate free. And there are hams out there that are nitrate free. And there are butchers that order these types of products in. And you can now buy things at Woolies and Coles. Fantastic. So, and that's great for building awareness because not everyone is aware of that. And there are options now where we can get nitrate free. So it's just having that more holistic kind of health approach when it comes to feeding our children. And and they taste the same, which is great as well. That's even better. Well, Monica, you have been amazing today in giving us lots of valuable information about food fuel for effective learning for our kids plus even more on top of that. So thank you so much for joining us today in the chat about children. Are there any final websites or resources that you think you'd like to direct our listeners to after today's chat? There are actually some really good websites and resources out there. I do actually recommend that individuals kind of start searching what they really, really want. So if you put in 
just basic healthy eating for children, you will actually get very credible websites that come up. But if you're looking at fueling children for activity, then you'll get things like Sports Dietitians of Australia and the Institute of Sport, for example, they've got great junior resources, fact sheets for fueling really active kids. So I encourage people to get out there and target their questions when they're doing their searching so that they find websites that really help them with what they need. So if you put in lunchbox ideas for kids, amazing what you get these days. Really, really good stuff. Fantastic. So get out there and just search away and have a really good read and find what works for your family. Awesome. Thank you so much, Monica Kabizniak. Thank you. So welcome. Thank you for having me, Sonia. So you now have some great advice on how to effectively provide food fuel for your child. And I really did like that life skill Monica mentioned of empowering our children to read their own body cues and their own body signals. So that way they can determine, you know, when they've had enough food to eat. I mean, for me, I enjoy my food and I I think I need to practice this one a little myself, to be quite honest. Um, But, you know, of course, should you have any concerns for your child's diet or nutrition, do seek advice from your doctor or your relevant health professional. Coming up next episode, episode eight, we're actually talking about food and fussiness. And I'll be chatting to a very experienced speech pathologist whose special area of clinical interest is feeding. Yes, this is an area that speech pathologists who do have specific training, they do work on this. Um, It's a great episode for parents, for carers and educators in understanding feeding and fussiness in children. And we also look at some practical strategies on what to do. So be sure to tune in for that one. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please remember to leave a rating and review and to subscribe to the podcast. If you found any part of it valuable, please do share this episode with family, with friends and with colleagues. I do celebrate you. Take care and chat soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestelich, www.chataboutchildren.com.